0: In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not." not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone." ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have even fallen asleep, died. You have not discerned the body of Christ. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Thank you. You may want to turn your phones off. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. This is the word of the Lord. So it's. World Communion Sunday, what used to be called Worldwide Communion Sunday. It started at Shadyside Presbyterian Church in 1933 by the pastor, Reverend Hugh Thompson Carr, as a gift to all of the churches to remember that we are all one together. It was slow to gain any traction, but during World War II, when the world was so torn apart, churches, mostly mainline Protestant churches, came together and began celebrating it in mass, no pun intended. World Communion symbolizes the unity in community, that we are one in the spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Celebrate around the world, mostly mainline denominations. Catholic churches don't understand it. Because in the Catholic Church, whenever there is communion, it is world communion. You don't set it apart for one day of the year. The irony of setting it apart for one day of the year is that in in a strange way, it only helps us discern how divided we are from the Catholic Church. I can't help but remember my preacher that really was the source of my faith journey in the 20s, H. Lewis Patrick in Charlotte. And um, when he got near retirement, somebody asked him, "What, what are you most looking forward to when you retire? And he responded, that I'll never have to preach another worldwide communion sermon. Most people didn't understand what he was saying. I thought at first that what he was saying was because the church is still so divided that it's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms, worldwide communion. But What I have since come to learn is that he saw every communion service as a worldwide communion. As we confess in the Apostles' Creed, we are all part of the Holy Catholic Church, that every communion was in communion with God, with each other, and even with those parts of ourselves that are divided. This is the point St. Paul is making in this morning's passage. In 51, that's like not... No no numbers before it. In 51 AD, St. Paul makes a passage to Corinth and ends up founding a church there. He found it there because those who came were hungry for something more substantial than free sex and free enterprise, which is what Corinth basically had become. Among all the churches founded by Paul, the Corinthian church was the most explosive because it was in the most explosive city. Those days it was DC, LA, New York, um, Las Vegas and the Riviera all lumped together. It was the most cosmopolitan of the city of the cities of Rome. It was full of Greeks and Orientals and Romans and Jews all flocking there as the center of commerce. It was a huge city of, 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 a, of all the fleets that would bring their goods there because the passage was easy, uh, and then from there overland. land. And it was the center of sports and brothels and bars and, and bravado. And Corinth's, Corinth's patron saint You ready for this was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Her temple stood on top of the highest hill, and it was serviced by thousands of prostitutes. Wealth was everywhere for the wealthy and nowhere for the poor. There was one small dig by an archaeologist in a tiny little part of Corinth, Small little dig, and he discovered that there were 33 taverns there. For 18 months, Paul brought this body together to become a church. And then he left them and found, founded other churches. But five years later, somebody told him that his church in Corinth had lost their balance. They were off base And so he writes them, much of which is part of 1 Corinthians. He writes them in a letter, and what he does in this letter is call them on the carpet. He goes after them about the politics and factions and cliques in this church that some were claiming to follow Apollos, their recent preacher who was Jewish and knew the Old Covenant better than anybody else and apparently had a voice like Orson Welles. Some claim to follow Paul, who founded the church. Some claim to follow St. Peter. Some claim, we don't follow any of those guys. We follow Jesus Christ, which makes us a whole lot better than those of you following these others. So Paul gives it to them in this letter, and he says that you are idolaters for claiming to have an inside relationship with God apart from the rest of the body, the members. Just as a body, Paul says, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Paul is urging them and us, don't divide up into parts. The body is one. It's unity in community. It's the body as one that matters. How many different denominations are there today At last count, I don't know, 15 years ago, it was 3,600. Since then, the Presbyterian church has divided into three more Presbyterian churches. I wonder what Paul would say about that. I don't know. In this morning's passage, he gives them holy hell for the way they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Your meetings do more harm than good, he says, I heard that when you come together, there are divisions among you. You are no doubt creating differences among you in order to show who is in and who is out regarding God's favor. So when you come together for the communion, it's not the Lord's Supper you're practicing. For when you eat, some of you are gorging yourselves on the bread and wine apart from everyone else as if God has favored you for the whole table, even to the extent of getting drunk. Go home! and eat and drink if that's your purpose. Those who got to the communion table first, of course, were those of means. They didn't have an hourly wage labor job. They had more freedom so they could get to communion quicker. And when they did so, they would eat of the whole table, leaving none for those who came later. Paul's point is that everyone is invited to the table, and if everyone is not at the table, it's not communion. This is why the issue of reconciliation for Paul is so important. You remember Jesus' words in Matthew, therefore, Jesus said, if you are offering your gifts at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you or your sister... Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. In other words, don't go around trying to look Christian coming up to the table or the altar if you don't want to be and act like Christ. Before coming up here, at least attempt to reconcile with those for whom you are divided and if not, if not embodied personally, at least prayerfully and hopefully before you come. Otherwise, <laughs> ooh, we're eating judgment on ourselves. And I don't want to see any of you people fall out after eating communion, which is exactly why I need to confess to you something that is very important. Three weeks ago, maybe I can't remember exactly. I was up here talking about why I felt like the table should be on the floor and not in the chancel. You remember that sermon? And I, and I and I started I started ranting. There's no other word for it. I was ranting against the Catholic Church and the priests who were doing all their hocus pocus, which is similar to the Latin word for the body of Christ and I was, I was running against the Anglican church for the priest who, who kept, the, kept the table. They call it an altar and not a table. Altar is where you make a sacrifice, a table is where you gather around and share the body and blood of Christ as a meal. They're two different theological points. I'm up there running against them, and I'm feeling so sanctimonious. But I didn't know I was sanctimonious. I really didn't know I was that far off script. It just felt too good. I, you know, I can coin a new phrase instead of sanctimonious as satan And there I was. And then I got word that somebody wanted to have lunch with me, this really nice person who, uh, who wanted to talk to me. And at lunch, she, she says, um, you know, I, I, I need to tell you that um, I, I love your sermons and I, I've grown to love you and I really appreciate all you do, but I feel like that y- you are not helpful to the unity of the body of Christ when you were demeaning the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church. And I just felt like I needed to share that. And she did that with all honesty and love and responsibility and tenderness, and and really no judgment at all. It It was this woman in this church taking seriously what Paul calls us to take seriously about not having factions and not being divisive and coming together as one around the table. And I was not even conscious of it unless she, by grace, came to see me. Ironic, isn't it? Here's the preacher who needs to be reminded of what he preaches. But isn't that what the body of Christ is all about? That we can do that and be that for each other? Here's another irony. We professional preachers, we, we clerical types, seem to get in the way so much. And, and, and still, I can't help but notice that at Queen, the late Queen Elizabeth's burial, that she picked her two Major Queen Elizabeth, the head of the Anglican Church, chooses to have her burial at St. At Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh, the mother church of Presbyterianism, as if the Hundred Years' War never happened. There was no such thing as the Reformation, English or Scottish. In fact, her favorite church to worship in was that smaller Kirk Church near Balmoral. And she designed her whole funeral around the issue of the oneness of all of us in Jesus Christ. Here the queen gets it before the preachers get it. It was all about oneness and everybody that stood up in that service, they were from Catholic churches and Anglican churches and Presbyterians and, and free churches and Baptist churches and every possible Christian faith, and I think I remember there was a Muslim there and a Jew. And here she was, this royal throne-bearing mother of England politically making real to us, spiritually, what this is all about. I think it's remarkable that another example of that is Jose Andreas. If you know anything about him, his world central kitchen goes around all over the world. He's a famous chef, but, but he just takes off with his people and goes all the way on the world making food, cooking food, and handing it out. For, he's down in Fort Myers right now, in fact, practicing communion as good as it comes, communion with all those who cannot get to the table. As we come to the table this morning, let us commit to such practice ourselves. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited who is willing to give themselves and their self-righteous divisions over to the practice of being more like Christ. That's all it takes. You can be baptized by water or spirit. You don't even have to be baptized at all. If you just are willing to give up the practice of division for the sake of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to this table. It's the communion table where we practice to restore ourselves and wait for the promised day when Christ will come again. When that happens, you know who we're going to be sitting around eating dinner with? All those people we have a problem with. Might as well practice now what that looks like. That's the way we eat. Amen.